So most of us either <clears throat> discovered the Bible as a child um, or were introduced by somebody who discovered it as a child. And the thing about <clears throat> um, the Bible and being young um, and growing up is that it's um, on one end, on, on the good end, it's really difficult as a kid to try and wrap your mind around the Bible. Um, on the other end of that spectrum, it's dang near impossible. And so what we tend to do as kids is we, you know, highlight a few stories and, um, you know, kind of try and get one or two basic narrative ideas and, you know, God loves you. And, um, but as we, um, as we do that, those stories sometimes, especially as, as our times progress and we have so many other things fighting for attention, especially as kids, it's sometimes hard to, for kids to distinguish um, Bible stories that they're coming across and all of the other stories that they hear. Um, there, there was, um, <clears throat> there was a kid, thank you, Brad. There was a, um, we did a video at a church that I was at before on Easter and it was kids telling their version of the Easter story. And, um, man, one kid, he was right on it. He was talking about how the Romans like nailed Jesus to a cross and the story was going real well, and all of a sudden it took a left turn as he then declared that Batman came and saved Jesus <laughs> off the cross. <laughs> and, you know, and everybody laughs and it's cute and all, but like, there, I mean, there's a, you know, it's a legitimate thing as you hear all these stories as a kid. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, as a child, it, it's great as you begin to explore the world and gain understandings about things. Like, it's good to, to start to try and have that idea. The, Bible, but the problem is, is that as we grow, um, most adults never really grow past that understanding of the Bible. Um, it, it, it's the same book now to so many adults that it was when they were a kid. And, and consequently, when that's the approach or the idea or the concept of the Bible, the Bible just really doesn't seem very applicable to life. Um, because as you start going through things as an adult and start experiencing things, then all of a sudden kind of the stories that you told, that we were told and learned as a kid don't really like apply. What does it matter about a dude throwing a rock, killing a giant or something and fire furnaces and something, you know, you get all this stuff and it's like, ah, that doesn't, that doesn't really work. And so it's not very applicable and that lack of development and our understanding of the Bible eventually leads to a whole lot of Bibles sitting on shelves collecting dust. And, and so for the next few weeks, what I want to do is I, I want to, A, I want to try and do everything that I can possibly do to convince you to read the Bible, right? Because the, the Bible is, is the richest, um, deepest book on the planet. It really is. And, and if you've attended here very long, you've heard me say, you should read it. It's usually when we're going across something and we, we come across something that's completely unexpected in scripture. You know, something that's just extremely violent or extremely life-altering or extremely racy or something, you know, and I'm like, man, see, this stuff is in here. Like, you, can, you know, this isn't the kid version of the Bible, right? It's not the sanitized, um, you know, storyboard 
versions of, of the scripture. And, and I say that. And the reason I say that is because the extent of most Christians in the U.S., uh, the extent of their Bible reading um, is when their pastor reads it to them on a Sunday morning. And, and that's okay for the pastor to be reading it to you on a Sunday morning, but that basically turns into the religious version of a bedtime story. That is, you come and, you know, all right, here's what I'm doing. This is, the, this is our routine. I'm going to let him tell this story, read this passage, tell me a little story about it. Hopefully he makes it interesting. A lot of times not because, you know, coincidentally to our religious bedtime story, a lot of people struggle to stay awake during church especially in environments like ours where we make it nice and dark and it's easy to just kind of, right? And, and this is what happens in people and people, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ask for a raise of hands, but most churches nowadays, people don't even bring their Bibles to church because we put it up on the screen for you. So not only do we read it for you, we like put it up on the screen so you don't even have to worry about toting one around, right? And, and, and I've done everything I can over my history of being at Tapestry and doing sermons and hung out. I've done everything I can to try and make the Bible interesting. I mean, I've made it, I've made it seem like a soap opera. I've, um, I've tried to leave you hanging with cliffhangers and just like, Hopefully, like you're so interested in what comes next that you would read it on your own through the week. I've tried to make it juicy. I've, I, I've tried to paint pictures in such a way that you could almost imagine yourself in the scene and in the thing happening. Um, I've tried all kinds of things to try and get people interested enough to pick up the Bible and read it for themselves. And so for the next few weeks, I'm gonna make a concerted effort to get you to read the amazing gift that we've been given in the Bible, right? And, and now before we jump into this, let me tell you why this is so important. And I mean this, this next thing, I mean this to be inspirational, not offensive. So if it comes off as offensive, then I've done it wrong. Um, <laughs> but if you're a Catholic or a Protestant, have a religious background, um, your worldview has been incredibly shaped by the Bible, even if you're not aware of it. In fact, for people who don't even consider themselves religion, religious, our culture and the way we view the world has been incredibly shaped and impacted by the Bible. I mean, things that make you feel guilty have been impacted by it, right? Anybody experienced some good old religious guilt ever? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, things that make you feel like, you know, you're cool with God. Like, yeah, I'm succeeding. I'm doing all right. I feel good about it. That's impacted by the Bible. Um, the, way, the way that you view right and wrong is impacted by the Bible, right? And so, so many things in your everyday life have been impacted by the Bible that you owe it to yourself to read it and to know what it says, because every day you make decisions, whether you know it or not, based on the impact that the Bible has had on your life, right? And when pressed on why you made that decision, why would you choose to do this thing instead of that thing or go in that direction instead of this direction? Why would you do that? Um, you know, you'll probably re uh, you know, retreat to some kind of, well, you know, my basic um, faith, God, church, Bible, you know, somehow it's all in there. 
And what drives our values and shapes our principles and how we view God, it comes from the Bible. And so it'd be helpful for us to know really what's in there. And what you'll find is as you read the Bible, you will find yourself surprised at what's not in the Bible. So many things that people just assume are in there and they make life money, it's, it's not there. And you'll get in there and you'll be thinking, wait, 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 I grew up believing and fill in the blank, whatever it is, like, but where is that? Why do I believe that? Because I don't see it here. I don't see it in this. And then you look at what version you have. Well, maybe it's just not in this version because, you know, there's so many different versions now. And maybe they just cut it out. You know, I've heard some of the versions aren't good, you know. One's better than the other. And maybe this one just cut it out and you look, you know, no, that's, that's not it. It's just not in there. And the flip side, which is great, is that there's all kinds of stuff in there that you had no idea was in the Bible. You had no idea had been written. Now, if you're gonna go through all the trouble of getting up on Sunday morning and getting kids ready and trying to get here on time and trying to look kind of good, hoping to get some kind of God experience out of what it is that we do as a church, don't you owe it to yourself. If you're gonna go through all that effort, don't you owe it to yourself to maybe, maybe, maybe just read the Bible? So, yeah, it's not enough to just listen to somebody talk about it. And man, for years and years and years, I have threatened, <laughs> I have threatened to just come up and do a sermon that is, I mean, start to finish heretical, like <laughs> unbiblical, like it's just not there. I've twisted stuff um, just to see how many people notice. You know, and there may be a couple of you that I'm gonna have to make my, a couple of you I might have to give a heads up. Like, hey, here's what's getting ready to happen. Don't like get up and storm out. Um, but if your extent of your interaction with the Bible is me on Sunday morning, that's dangerous. Because I can convince you of anything if that is your extent of your interaction with the Bible. I can throw up a couple verses Maybe even just say it's from some other translation and change a key word here and there. Come up with some kind of explanation that really plays into something that I want, my agenda. And if you aren't familiar with it on your own, you're susceptible to that. I mean, it's why there's so many examples um, of our country and just over time and history of people who have fallen into just some really crazy beliefs and actions because their only interaction was what they were told by the person that they trusted. And as trustworthy as I would like to think that I am when it comes to this, I can't be your only source of what the Bible says. And the good news is, is I don't have to be because you've got it on your own, right? We've got, we've got access to it. And, and the, the crazy thing is that the amount of access that we have, we really don't appreciate because there are countries in this world where if you smuggle a Bible in, like you're not only going to prison, you, there's a good chance you disappear. There are countries where it's illegal to print, sell, or even own a Bible. 
And it's a very dangerous, divisive piece of literature in parts of the world. And there are governments who fear that their people will begin to read it. And you and I have free access to it every single day. Now, some of you may have said, well, Andy, I mean, I've, listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. I've tried reading the Bible and I've gotten to the point to where I realize that, um, you know, it's really difficult. And I realize that that's my go-to book when I have trouble sleeping because I, you know, I, I get a couple sentences in, I'm just like, whew. And it's really hard. That's really hard, which I would say, oh, okay. Well, then probably you should never do anything hard ever again in your life. <laughs> Just only do what's easy, which what comes natural to you, right? Let me tell you this. Our perspective of hard is messed up. Because a lot of us like pick up the Bible, like, oh, it's hard. And depending on what version you have, you might not be able to just like, you know, it might not be fluid to read it because there's some weird words and what does it mean? And, and I can't, you know, I can't find the story thread and, you know, what in the world is Revelations talking about? I'd just rather not, you know, and what is all this? But that's, that's not hard. Here's what's, here's what's hard. Here's some things that are hard. Hard is making stupid decisions in your 20s that haunt you through your 30s and 40s. Can anybody give me an amen? Yeah, that's hard. Hard is making really bad value judgments that haunt you into your next phase of life. That's hard. Hard is making a poor decision in who you marry or how you conduct yourself within your marriage and creating turmoil and hurt and destruction within that and then having to deal with all of that. That's hard, right? Hard is raising your kid in such a way that it takes them to a place that you don't want them to be and then wishing that you could do it all over again. That's hard. Those are the things that are spending 10 to 15 minutes a day working your way through some literature that might not be the easiest thing in the world to read. That's not hard. That's lazy. And so I want you to read the Bible. Well, you know, Annie, I'm not, I'm not real sure. You know, I'm not real sure I believe all of it. I mean, there's some good stories in there and all that, but I'm not real sure that I believe it. To which I would respond, you don't read anything because you believe it. That's not why you read stuff, right? Recently, we've started getting the Savannah Morning News delivered to our house. I don't know why Kate did it. But me being, you know, kind of older, there's something I enjoy about getting the newspaper in my hands and sitting in my chair with my cup of coffee in the morning after the kids are all out to school and just kind of flipping through the newspaper and reading the newspaper. Do you think for a second, I believe everything in that newspaper is accurate? <laughs> Do any of you get on your computers and go to the internet and read things only because you know they're accurate. Anybody? No. We read things that are interesting. We read things that agree with us. We avoid reading things that don't agree with us, that make us mad. Listen, something being true has zero relevance to if we decide to read it 
or not. In fact, some of you go home and, and look at magazines that you have sitting around your house. We get, we get um, I don't know how it started. I think Kate's got this weird uncle that just sends stuff to our house. And we, I don't know, about a year ago, started getting Us Weekly delivered to our house. Anybody familiar with Us Weekly? It's basically, from what I can tell, is a, a uh, gossip fashion celebrity type magazine. And, you know, look at it before I even open the cover, right? And ask yourself, do you believe everything in this magazine? And, you know, and, and these kind of things, you know, they go under like guilty pleasures. Anybody got a guilty pleasure? You? Yeah, guilty pleasure. And before I open the magazine and be like, oh, she did? Oh, he didn't? They are? Oh, you know. Come on. The litmus test for what we read has never been, is it true? It never has. Because you don't have to believe that something's true to read it. Why? Because you make decisions every day what has been put in, that, uh, on what you do and how our society operates and how you work with it. You make decisions every day on stuff that's in the Bible. And it's been heavily influenced on you. And your idea of religion and spirituality all comes out, but yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, you may not be sure it's true, but you sure do do a lot of things in life based on it. Wouldn't you like those things to be true? So today, here's, here's what I want to do. I want to start this series. And I started a little bit, if you were with us last week, I started, you know, I, I talked about, you know, the construction of the Bible. It's not just a single book, that it's many ancient manuscripts that have been saved and passed down and eventually bundled together. And so I'm like, well, I can start with like what the Bible is, but I touched on that last week. And so to get us started this week, here's what I want to do. I want to look at a, a passage that overtly explains how the Bible can be real and practical in your life and why, why you should be interested in reading it. So if you have your Bible, Psalms 119 is where we're gonna be. And the cool thing about this passage is that it was written by David. Yes, David is the guy who slung the stone at the giant and killed him and became a celebrity. And, but there was a lot more to David than that. And the thing that's amazing about this passage is that as David wrote this passage, he only had access to, to about the first seven books of the Old Testament. That was all that had been written um, as far as scripture goes. And they were written several hundred years before David showed up on the scene. Right, and, and, which is really important. So David's gonna refer to himself in this passage. He's gonna refer to himself reading the scriptures, which were written hundreds of years before he showed up. And that's important because people sometimes say, yeah, well, you know, the Bible is just old. It was written a long time ago. Like, what does it know about today? But here's David saying that something written hundreds of years before he showed up on the scene is relevant. And he only had seven books, which to be honest, the seven books that David had in the scriptures are not the most interesting books of the Bible. I mean, you, you really wanna not care about something? I mean, just give a read through numbers sometime. There's a reason it's named that. 
and they aren't even interesting numbers. You're just like, oh, well, this wall was this many cubits high, and this gate was this many cubits wide, and this was, and you're just like, oh my goodness. But these were the books. These were the books that David had. So here's what David says about these books that aren't even all the most interesting books. Verse 97, he says, oh, how I love your law. Now this is kind of weird because he's using this word love. He's saying, I love these scriptures to which we may ask, well, David, what do you mean love? Right, you mean just like, oh, it's kind of cool to read. Oh, you feel closer to God a little bit. Like, what do you mean love? Well, he explains it. He says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Now, this is the king. It's not like David is just some dude that doesn't have a whole lot of things going on. I mean, he's the king. He's the most important guy in the nation, right? But throughout his days, he says, listen, throughout my days, while I'm doing all of my king stuff, portions of the scripture come to my mind and I actively spend time thinking about them, meditating on them. Now, what do you think about all day long? You think about, oh, well, there's the stuff right in front of you that you've got to be doing. Whatever your work is, you're thinking about that. What are the projects in the front? What's coming due? What do I got to get done before I can leave today? You're thinking about that. You might be thinking about what's for dinner later on tonight. We got anything going on this weekend? I'm tired. Why does my back hurt? Like these are things that we think about throughout the day, right? But David says, David says, I love the scriptures and I've incorporated them into my daily thoughts. And then here's where it starts to get rich. He says, your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. Now, I'm not going to ask how many of you have enemies, right? Because that would be bad to raise your hand in church. Or, yes, I have enemies. But how many of you would like to be wiser than your enemies? Anybody going to be honest with me? <laughs> yeah, right? Whoever that, that person is or that group of people that just kind of get you, you feel like they're always undermining you or working, plotting against you or just, I mean, get under your skin. Man, if I can just be wiser than them. If I could figure out what's coming next and be able to, you know, cut them off at whatever move they're trying to make and figure it out, that'd be, that'd be a great thing. That'd be a great thing. Now, here's why this is cool, because in the scriptures, we discover, we discover how God views the world. Through the scriptures, we discover what it is that God values, and we also discover what it is that God thinks does not work in our life, right? And David says, okay, so I have saturated my mind with this. I've saturated my mind with the scriptures and how God works and you know, how he operates and how he views things. So when it comes to my enemies, I am wiser because oftentimes wisdom is about reading between the lines, Wisdom is about being able to see beyond the surface context and understand on a deeper level how things are operating and what things are gonna do, anticipating what needs to happen based on what is happening, right? And so he says, your commands are always with me. In other words, he's so saturated himself with the scripture that they just come to his mind throughout the day during the critical times 
when a king is making decisions. He goes on to talk about the benefits of this. I have more insight than all of my teachers. Some of you had had teachers, right? Where you know you have more. (laughs) I see that big nod back there. I have more insight than all my teachers for I meditate on your statutes. And an insight is basically the ability to relate unrelatable things in such a way that you can see things that other people can't see, that other people miss. They're not able to connect. You look at unrelated things and you're able to put them together and gain a better understanding. Like everybody else around you sees the dots, but you're able to see them and connect them and come up with something. You're able to read between the lines. And David says, because I've saturated myself with God's word, I have more insight than others going along in life beside me. He says, I have more understanding than the elders, which means because of your words, I've got wisdom beyond my years. People ask, David, how could you know that? You're so young. And his response is, well, because I fill my mind with the thoughts of God. I spend time meditating on how God sees the world and how things operate. And as he talks to his elders and his advisors, he's realized because I do this, I have more understanding and insight than they do. He says, I have more understanding than the elders for, and this is a whole different avenue, for I obey your precepts. There's a word none of us use anymore. Has anybody used precept, the word precepts in the last week? I mean, you are, you are, you are better, you, you are better than us. <laughs> like, I've not heard anybody use that word in conversation, uh, maybe ever, I don't think. But in the scripture, we're taught that oftentimes obedience to God brings insight. See, we think this way. We think, okay, God wants me to do something. Well, God, if you explain it to me and explain why and show me what the outcome's gonna be and why it's better, then I'll do it right? And so many of us, that's our approach to everything in life. Somebody wants us to do something, okay, why? How's that going to work out? And then maybe I'll trust you enough to do that thing, right? But the scriptures teach that many times it's the opposite. God asks you to do something and you might not understand it, but as you obey, it becomes clear to you. You begin to understand and you begin to have insight. And many times the best way to understand God is not to understand why he's asking you to do something, but to do what he wants you to do. And then understanding comes. But we all have this thing inside of us of we wanna know first. And then we ask, but God says, I want you to obey. And on the other side of obedience, you will find clarity. You will have extraordinary insight. Not only will you breathe a sigh of relief that you have chosen to do things God's way, but you'll understand why he wanted you to do things that way. And you'll understand on the backside, one way or another, the ramifications of not doing it God's way. So David says, I've got more understanding because I've learned to obey. He keeps going. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I may obey your word. I have not departed from your laws. And I love this part. Here's what I hope to leave you with today. For you yourself have taught me. When David opened up the scriptures, 
He says, when I open through scriptures and I reflect on those words, I feel like God himself is teaching me. Now, here's what I know. Anybody who has spent time on a regular basis reading the Bible (coughs) will tell you that there have been times that they've been reading and that it has felt like God himself was talking to you. That that moment, the words that were on that page, the implications that they had in your exact situation that you were dealing with, that it felt like God himself was speaking to you. And here's why this is so important, because we spend a lot of energy trying to get God to do things for us. But what if, what if, instead of just doing things for us, God wanted to say something to us, right? Because we, we've spent time, we're gonna, we're gonna spend some time in, in the new future, in the, in the next series, to be specific, talking about the whole idea of prayer. And sometimes our prayers get pretty selfish because we're trying to get God to do things. But what if God's like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's not what this is about. I'm trying to tell you something. And what if the Bible is the main way that God speaks to us? David says, that's how I see it. It's as if God himself is speaking to me. And here's how he feels about it. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. In other words, as I have read your laws, they have shaped my values, my understanding of right and wrong. They've shaped the way I see the world, my priorities. And then there's this famous verse that most of you have heard. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet. Which when I read that, I want to be like, whoa, 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 hold on a second, David. Your feet? You know, David, this, you know, these words that you're reading, these scriptures, these were written hundreds of years before you came along. How can it be a lamp for your specific feet? David, if you were writing that right, shouldn't it be like your word is a lamp for our feet? Everyone's feet? right? David, my feet, that's very personal. You're talking as if God knows the exact circumstances of your life. And he would respond, yeah, that's exactly what it's like when I'm reading the scriptures. He says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. In other words, David is telling us this is extraordinarily personal, right? This isn't like big theology, like big overarching cover everybody thinks. This isn't what can the preacher figure out and tell us about, you know, and only he can know because he went to seminary and he, you know, been trained on this so he can figure it out and tell me. This, is, this, was, this was written in a time when academics wasn't a big part of people's lives, right? You, you read the life of David and you don't read all about David's educational experiences, You read about a shepherd who fought some animals trying to kill a sheep, who took his brothers who were just warriors, some lunch, killed a giant, spent some time hanging around the king after he got so popular, avoided being assassinated, eventually became king. Nowhere in there 
do we get David earning his bachelor's and then master's and then his royal doctorate so he can become king? So David within this, he's saying, look, I fought for my life from a young age and was thrust into a situation where in overnight, I became in charge of a nation. And this wasn't, so this, this idea of it, it wasn't just some intellectual pursuit because so many times we think, oh, the Bible's just for, you know, people who are just like smart people just in on it and they're just intellectually wanting to know all that stuff. That's just not really me. That, David's saying, no, 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 no. I am into this because I am desperate for direction from God. I'm desperate to know what he wants of me, right? He said, the, I, I only know what I know and I'm, because I read and I meditate on God's word. <laughs> David says, I'm a, listen, I'm a warrior with blood on my hands who's made many mistakes. And if you read through David's life, he screwed up a lot. I made many mistakes. In fact, I don't even know why I'm here and why God has considered me worthy of this. But God, I need you to speak to me the way that you spoke to Moses before me. And I've discovered that through the scriptures is how that happens. I meditate on your law and it's as if God is speaking to me. Now, listen, I want that so badly for all of you. I want so badly for you to be able to open the scriptures and begin to read and feel as if God is speaking to you to direct directly. I've had those experiences where it was as if words were jumping off the page and slapping me in the face as God was speaking to my exact situation, as if he knew exactly what I was going through. And there's times that I have felt completely inadequate in situations. And then all of the sudden, God brings something out of the scriptures to my mind and bails me out. And it's humbling but it could never happen if I never read it and put it in there in the first place. So listen, it's okay to read the Bible. And when you get done reading, close it and be like, I just don't get it. That's okay. Just read, just begin. And here's one of the main motivations for me to read the scriptures. Um, because here's what happens when I stop reading and I think Kate ran out early today because she didn't want to have to answer confirmations of these things. <laughs> but here's what happens when I stop reading that. Here's the first thing. I tend to magnify the weaknesses of others and overlook my own. When I'm not in the scriptures, like everybody else really gets on my nerves and it's their fault, not mine. That's the view that I begin. Suddenly my problems are not my problems. My problems are everybody else's faults. Those just become huge to me. But when I read God's word, I walk away thinking, hmm, I need to work on me. I need to focus internally. Here, here's what else happens. I tend to evaluate all as I see, I, I, all I see as if this is all there is. We regularly spend time in tapestry talking about how God is something up to something far bigger than us in our little lifespan. But it's easy to forget that. And when I get away from reading the scriptures, I forget that I'm a part of a bigger picture. And I forget to look for my place within that bigger picture. Here's, here's one that I do. <laughs> I become selfish. 
I do. When it comes to my possessions, when it comes to my relationships, both relationships within my family and within friends, when I'm not saturating myself with the scripture, I become very self-centered and selfish. I forget who gave me what I have. I, I forget how important others are in my life. I forget to think about what others need as opposed to just what I need. And it's directly related to the amount of time that I spend reading or not reading the scriptures. It has nothing to do with my theological expertise and ability to tell you all about it. Here's another one, and this one's probably the most destructive in my life, is I tend to hold on to anger. I bet if you're honest, a lot of you do too. Apart from the Bible, and this is, this is a big statement. We're, we'll unpack this in another series down the road. But outside of the Bible, there's no reason really to ever let go of your anger. In fact, anger is a motivator. But what are you motivated towards? Because after all, anger is you wronged me and you owe me. And until I get paid what I owe, things aren't right. And since you haven't paid me, that's a really good story that I get to tell people, right? And then I open the Bible when I'm feeling like that. And God says, uh-huh, and you owed me, and I forgave you. Now go and do the same for others in your life. And when I spend time in the scriptures, I keep very short accounts of who owes me what. But when I don't, that list grows and grows and grows. Now, this is my journey. These are the things that happen when I am not saturating myself with scripture. Yours may be different. Some of you may not be able to even answer the question, what happens when you don't spend much time in the scripture? Because you haven't spent much time in the scripture. And so the question for you is, huh, what could be different if I did? Now, here's what I know. God has given us these words. And I'm not gonna say they're magical words, but there's something magical about the Bible. It's like no other book. And you have the opportunity to experience it. Because what if God's trying to tell you something? You don't want to spend seasons of your life missing it and cleaning up from previous seasons of your life. But for any of this to be able to happen, you can't see the Bible like you did when you were a kid. It's not just stories. And it's not just God loves me. There's a whole lot more. And that's what we're going to be diving into for the next several weeks. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the gift that we have of the Holy Scriptures. Lord, we don't even understand how lucky we are to be able to read these words at any time we want. 
Lord, the improbability of all of these individual manuscripts written over thousands of years, somehow surviving, written by over 40 different people that somehow tell a singular story to be preserved, to be bound together. Lord, the people who gave their life to be able to make these words accessible to us, to continue moving your story forward. Lord, we've got no idea what those words that we hold in our hand cost, but we're lucky enough to have them. Lord, I pray that through this series and over the next few weeks that God, you begin to birth a desire within us, a love within us of those words and that we begin to see the Bible differently and that it becomes a key way that you speak to us and direct us through life. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for us and pray you keep us safe till we meet again. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being out. Join us next week as we begin to look at the Bible for grown-ups. It's a beautiful-